small bars or big venues? Uh, you know, big venues are super cool. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, that's a really cool thing because it bigger venues kind of make you feel like, I don't want, like you've arrived. Like, you know, all the, all the hard work that you've put in uh, is worth it or, or not as worth it has, has come to fruition. Um, uh-huh. But I like the small bars because like, they're intimate and they're hot and they're sweaty and they could be violent. Like we've played, you know, uh, we've played blood feast. We've played some, I mean, we've played great. I mean, we've played amazing shows, but some of the greatest ones we've done have been in these small little bars where it's, you know, people are just packed in and, you know, it's just total chaos and people are, you know, moshing and they're running into your equipment and knocking monitors <laughs> over. Like, like that, that's the, like, to me, I, I, I like the small clubs because for me too, with bigger venues comes bigger stages, bigger production. And it's more nerve wracking, at least for me, I can't speak for the other guys, but for yeah. me, it's, it's more nerve wracking at a bigger venue. You know, I, uh, I remember the last show that you guys played at the bug jar. Yeah. Yeah. There was some type of uh, rubber, like dummy head that got thrown into the crowd, and by the end yes. of the night, yeah, <laughs> yeah that thing that. was like ripped into pieces. <laughs> and yeah, and you know we, you know, sometimes we play, you know, Saint Vitus in in Brooklyn, and you know there have been a couple. Of, there's a fan that usually wears like this big rubber horse head mask, and it's just so bizarre. But you know, they're, they're the cool things about playing the small clubs. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. I definitely think that that bug jar show was one of the best like energy packed nights that I've ever been there. Oh, uh, thank you, man. That that means a lot. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. that. I tell you, that was actually the first time uh, the Grip Dystopian saw us, too. So it's cool. It, it, it was definitely a fun night. We definitely had a good time. And I think. You guys went on at like freaking twelve or one o'clock. <laughs> well, that's that's because you watch you because you people up there in North New York, you guys are like night owls. And it was a Sunday. Yes. I remember it was a yes. freaking Sunday. Yes, yes. Because my because my buddy um my buddy uh, Hartman from Embludgement was there too, and he was there with uh oh I'm sorry, hang on, and he was there from the guy uh that runs uh severed records so yeah all you guys are night owls man yeah no yeah but your show <laughs> this started at nine o'clock yeah yeah so. exactly that's what the guy that's what they told us and we were we were a little shocked by that but yeah yeah so are you into political bands or non-political bands non-political man i you know i i understand me neither i i yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Yeah, like I, I understand the, you know, the, you know, like your Lamb of Gods and, you know, they feel like they can, you know, help the younger generation. And, and I get that aspect of it, the responsibilities. Like, I understand it, but I don't think that politics and music, if you want to put your politics in your music, then that's fine. But when bands start to preach it, that's when I kind of go, yeah. Yeah, I, like, I just yeah. can't. I can't do it. Like I, you know, I want to listen to or I want to go to a show, uh, you know, to get away from the bullshit, you know. And uh, exactly, I, I, yeah, like, I don't want to be, you know, burdened with your political views. Uh, save that for, you know, other times. And I just don't think a, I don't think a stage is the place to do it. 
And I asked you that on purpose because I, I know a lot of thrash metal bands do that nowadays. And I mean, it's cool, but it's, I feel like I'm going to like a church recession or something, you know, like, well, you know, it's true because I guess, you know, I guess politics have always had a place in thrash metal. And again, like, it's okay if you want to write about it, but preaching, I'm just not into the preachment. Same thing with religion. I just don't, I don't need you. I don't need to know your personal views. Like you want to put your personal views in a song. That's fine. But I don't need you to be sharing it from the stage. Like save that shit for somewhere else. On the internet or something. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, man. Even there, even there. Sometimes I see these posts by these, you know, famous names and I'm like, oh, do you even have to talk? Like, just stop. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, just stick to screaming, really. But, you know, I get it because some of these guys feel like they can help the world and help a younger generation. Again, I understand that responsibility, but I I just don't think it has a place in in music. So where would you consider to have like the tightest thrash metal community like that you saw when touring the world? Wow, man. Um, hmm. That, that's a hard one because Japan, when we play Japan, uh, they are just, they are super passionate about their thrash metal. Like they just love it. And they, like, I have a couple of friends that I met from Japan who post on Instagram and Facebook and they've, they have opened up my eyes to. a a huge number of thrash metal bands that I would have never even heard of. So Japan, like Japan, those, uh, they are super into thrash metal. Uh, When we played Germany, they are just lovers of metal, heavy metal. doesn't matter. Classical metal or, you know, classic metal, uh, you know, like your Saxons up until, you know, they're real. I don't, at least in the, in the people in Germany that I met, they're really not thrash metal. Or excuse me, they're really not death metal uh, driven. A lot of them are, yeah. you know, old school metal or thrash metal. Um, and then when we played Peru, those fans were just insane. Um, I don't know, man. Everybody, it's hard to say because everybody has their own little community of, of how they deal with it. They all love it and they all love it different ways. Um, but mm-hmm. the best, I don't know, man. That's re- That's a really hard question to answer. Yeah. I uh I've been told Europe, California, and Mexico. Um, Europe, yes. Uh, Mexico, we haven't played there, but I mean, I you know we do have some uh, people of Mexican descent that come to our shows, and they are phenomenal. Um, California, yeah, we played California a couple times, and there were certain spots that were better than others, but uh, I don't. I mean, yeah, I, I guess so, but definitely Europe, and I would imagine Mexico for sure. Right on. Yeah i I saw a picture, like a promotion picture, that you guys were in Japan. I'm like, holy fuck, man! Like, yeah, yeah, we were there twice, how man. That, how was that? Uh, you know, travel. How did you bring your gear there? Well, because we were doing a festival, all we were responsible were uh, was um, just. And this is usually when we travel, whether it be Peru, whether it be Germany. Um, it's usually we just bring our guitars and Adam, my drummer, brings, you know, sticks or, you know, his heart. He doesn't even really bring his hardware, just sticks and anything else he needs. Because uh, these big festivals, somebody usually supplies 
yeah. the gear or I think in Japan and Germany, they rented gear. So, you know, it's usually top of the line. Uh, so we just really bring our guitars, pedals and, you know, maybe little, you know, effects pedals if we need them. And Adam usually just travels with sticks and, you know, just some keys or, you know, little hardware that he may think he needs. Yeah, I, I feel like it'd be fucking impossible if, if if they required you to bring your own gear. It You know, dude, it's tough, bro, because, you know, I'm sure you know, uh, flying is expensive alone. And then even the guitars, yeah. the guitars yeah. are expensive. I know when we first met Razor, we first played with those guys a couple of years back in New York. They traveled with no gear like they were, you know, when they when Ed booked the when uh, Ed Farsity from Armageddon Productions, when he booked the show. That you know, in the contract was that Razor needs to be supplied with gear. So, you know, of course, Ed comes to us and says, Hey, guys, do you mind Razor using your gear? And we were, you know, of course, we were like, No, absolutely not. And uh, so they didn't, fl- they flew in with absolutely nothing. They just kind of showed up with their bags and, you know, they Damn. used, they, yeah, they used our guitars and our kit. And yeah, I feel like that would be tough, like not playing on the, the just a guitar. And I mean, I could do like a rig, like an amplifier and a cab, but a fucking guitar. I agree, Just, bro. Here you go, play a set with it, dude. I I agree. Like I'm not a guitar player, but I agree. I don't know how. I don't know how they do it. I I really don't. I really don't. But they did. They pulled it off, and it was a great show. So, <laughs> right. So, what's been the best part about releasing the new album? I think that. Uh, well, you talk about Future State, or you talk about the EP, or both. Uh, both. Both. Okay. Uh, Future State, I think the really exciting thing about that was it was the first Blood Feast record in X amount of years. It was being, you know, it was being released by Hell's Headbangers, which is one of the best metal labels out there. Um, Mm -hmm. and people were excited about it. So it made us even more excited about it. Then of course, you know, we get the, the reviews were coming in and they were all pretty positive. And, um, and I think with Chop, Slice and Dice, I think the real exciting part of bringing that out was doing you know, redoing older songs, um, you know, in the way we had been playing them. And I think that was exciting for us and especially exciting for Adam, because these were songs that he felt uh, should have been played back in the day. And um, so I I think just releasing new stuff ultimately is really the cool thing. And, and, you know, in the hopes that people dig it. And yeah, I see, I see hell's headbangers. Um, I looked on the band camp and I'm like, holy shit. Like they, they do cassettes, vinyl. Um, there was something weird that I saw. What was it? Um, I don't know. Oh, it's this CD. They print it in a specific way that I've never seen before. The Future State of Wicked. Like, I don't know. It's just sweet. Well, you know, they and they did. Um, they when we released Chop Slice and Dice, they did a vinyl. It was a cutout vinyl, the shape of our logo. Yeah, and, and no, the, no, actually, that's what I was talking yeah, about. My yeah. bad. No, it's okay, bro. I knew what you meant. It's okay. I was like, what the fuck was that weird thing that I saw that yeah. they <laughs> Dude, when, you know, when they told us they were going to do it, we were like, no way. And when we got it uh, in the mail, we were like, holy crap. Like, these things are amazing. And, right. uh, you know, and for record collect, and they sound decent for record collectors. You know, they, they really love them. Um, you know, hell, you know, when we got, when we first got confronted by Hell's Headbangers back in the day, um, Adam had come to me and said, Hey man, do you know anything about these Hell's Headbangers? And I was like, you know what, dude, like they put out killer releases. And and I told 
the brother because a bunch of brothers owned the, the label and i was telling mm-hmm. Ch- the chase i was telling chase one of the brothers i said dude the one thing that sold me on you guys is your merchandise is awesome like i probably have five or six sweatshirts or hoodies that I got right. from Hellside Backers and they are super great quality. So I told Adam, I said, Hey man, listen, if anything, we're going to get some really killer hoodies out of them. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we're going to get some good merch. Let's do it. <laughs> oh dude, they're, and them guys, you know, and they were fans, which helps. Um, mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're smart, man. The guys are young and they're hungry and they love metal and they love the bands. And, and, you know, that's, that's really a big key. Yeah, they don't really think of it as like a, a pure business. Like they support the no, product. Dude, well. they they really don't. You know, it was one really cool thing a couple of years ago. They put out, I don't even, I think they only put out like 100. Uh, they did it for deceased. It was like a, a wooden coffin box, maybe about, I don't know, four feet long or whatever. And it was filled with like their old CDs or something, or like all kinds of paraphernalia. And it was, it was, it was super cool. And it had like deceased on the coffin lid and, they just think out of the box and and that's what really that's what makes them special i I love them i I can't say enough good things about them they definitely um like my buddy mike i I think you remember mike yeah yeah he he made you sign everything yeah he he's like yo man he was actually the one that got me to go to that show because i wasn't really huge in the thrash metal oh okay and then i saw that Okay, I used to be into thrash metal in middle school and high school. Okay, and then I and then I kind of grew out of it. Uh huh. And then he's like, "Yo, man, you ought to come." I'm like, "Fuck it, let's do it." So, <laughs> so I'm back in the loop. Twelve o'clock on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> twelve o'clock. I, I think the worst part was I had college the next day, <laughs> and I had to drive. I, I had to drive an hour and a half. Oh, dude. Well, thank you for coming. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a good time. So funniest moment ever when performing. Funniest moment. Well, I, I could tell you that this isn't going to be my, well, it's not my funniest moment, but it's a funniest moment that happened to somebody else in the band that I just, we still laugh about to this day. So we were playing in Japan and um, in Japan, the, the drinking uh, flows very freely. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're in the middle of our set, and Tom, my bass player, had one too many. And oh, yeah, it, there he, we go. No, he was fine. Like he played great, and uh, you know, nothing against his performance. He was he was awesome. He's a great stage performer, great, amazing bass player. And he stumbled backwards and fell into the kit. <laughs> and like I, in, in the middle of the song, and I just remember we still left out today. And I literally, I remember if I close my eyes, like I remember it to this day. <laughs> I, I literally watched him go, to, and I tried to save him, and he just fell. And I like looked at him, and he was on his ass, and he picked right, didn't miss a beat, didn't miss a note, just stood right back up. And I, dude, I, I was on stage, and I don't think I got. And there may have been like two or three lines, and I didn't even get out. Like it was so funny, and um, and, and the the kicker to that, the rest of the the rest of the uh, days we were there, he had this big bruise on his hip down his ass cheek and we still we still laugh about today because when you're in japan and you go to these restaurants you kind of have to sit in the floor you know what i mean like you're not sitting in a chair you're sitting on the floor well watching him with a sore ass try to get in and off uh get up and down off the floor was like he literally had to tuck and roll (laughs) to get out from under a table it literally was hilarious how how was it after the show oh dude we were hysterical in the van 
in the oh. van. Oh, we were do we we backstage we were hysterical in the dressing room. We were just laughing our ass off. And like I said, to this day, Tom always brings it up and we just laugh. Laugh, laugh, laugh. 